This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. Today, I am chatting with Elizabeth Klein, and we are talking all about feeding therapy and food sensitivity. This is a challenge that a lot of kids face, being picky and selective about food to the point that this can play a negative role in their health and their behavior, and this can really impact social opportunities as well. Elizabeth has a big passion in feeding therapy and feeding assessment so much that she actually created the feeding assessment tool. Today, she shares what the feeding assessment tool is, what led her to create it, and how this tool can be useful by both parents and clinicians on really determining what goals we have for our kids when it comes to feeding. I myself parent some picky eaters, so this was really helpful for me to start to think about what are some good next goals for my own kids and how we can work on that generalization piece by just really small things that Elizabeth shares. So let's jump in and hear from Elizabeth Klein. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited to talk about picky eating because I think this is an issue for a lot of kids and especially children on the spectrum that I know a lot of teachers and parents and clinicians are working on. So I'm excited to have you on to talk about this topic. Yeah, it's definitely a really big topic um, and one that's really impactful, not only on individuals with autism, but um, the whole community, uh, their families, um, all the practitioners they work with. So. Yeah, it really kind of bleeds into all these other areas if you're not, you know, 
eating and absolutely feeling, yeah healthy <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't have a full belly that can lead to a lot of problems yeah I mean I know for myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely so why is it more why is picky eating or you know highly selective eating more common for kids with autism yeah, it's definitely something that's super, super common. Um, I know I've worked in several different settings um, with individuals with autism and other disabilities. Um, and almost every single time, you know, when you ask parents or you talk to their caregivers, um, the biggest issue that they talk about is eating um, and not even just the food selectivity, but um, it can be other eating problems as well. You know, if they're, um, you know, hyposensitive, maybe they just eat everything mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not okay either. Um, so yeah, eating problems are super, super common in autism. And I think one of the biggest reasons for that is the sensory issues. You know, everyone always talks about, oh, it's a texture issue. Um, but it's also, you know, it could be a temperature issue. It could be shape issue, a color issue. Um, so all of those sensory factors, um, definitely play a big role. Um, and I think also just like the fixation on the routine and the sameness, um, you know, if you take a blueberry, you know, they taste kind of similar every time, but you don't know if that blueberry is going to be a little bit sour, a little bit sweet, a little bit squishy, a little bit crunchy. Um, so that insistence on sameness and routine and um, the fixation on that can sometimes be really difficult for kids with autism, um, not knowing exactly what's coming, as well as just eating in general includes so many discrete behaviors that you have to learn, you know, um, from using utensils to chewing the food, um, asking for food, all of these different things. Um, so eating itself is just such a big, massive undertaking to really master. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think as you were talking about that routine and sameness, I noticed this with my own kids who are not on the spectrum, but just from a parenting perspective, I tend to kind of give them what I know they'll like. And then we're Mm -hmm. kind of eating the same chicken nuggets every week. And then if I buy a different brand, they're like, whoa, 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 what's this? And it's like, you know, because it's just not their routine, which Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize I was creating. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's something that I always say from the beginning, um, you know, it's not really a solution to people who are already in this conundrum. But um, if you're starting out, you have like a young child, um, I encourage just as much opportunities for generalization as possible. So like, always put it on a different dish, you know, don't have Mm -hmm. the red plate be the chicken nugget plate, just always put it on a different dish, Um, flip the food upside down, or, um, you know, cut it in different ways, just do as many different things as you can so that they're comfortable with a little bit more um, variety among those foods that you're feeding them. Yeah. That's such a simple thing that we wouldn't even think of to do with our little. Right. Body. Yeah. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, Did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. So why is this, you know, focusing on eating and increasing the variety and types of foods that kids are eating important? Like what implications does picky eating have? 
It's so important. Obviously, food is you know, really, really important to everyone, just as far as health, um, social interactions, um, being able to participate in, you know, society with everyone else uh, involves being able to eat. Um, so eating definitely has huge implications. Um, it impacts the family greatly. Um, you know, most of the time, parents have other children. Um, sometimes they have children who have disabilities as well, other children with disabilities. Um, so being able to have everyone eat the same food or a similar food or just eat something in general is so, so important to just the family structure. Um, being able to, you know, serve something and then, you know, know that your child will sit down and eat it and you don't have to sit there and prompt them through it or they're not going to throw up or throw their food on the ground or whatever it may be. So definitely, I think the family function is a huge reason um, that piggy eating is important to address. Um, but then also, yeah, the uh, social interactions and the stigma that come with not being able to eat. Um, you know, if we're expecting them to be able to attend social gatherings where there's probably going to be food present, if we're expecting them to sit in the cafeteria and eat among their peers, um, all of these different things, um, then they need to master certain skills and be able to eat a, you know, a certain repertoire of foods um, so that they can, you know, look the same as just any other child who is eating their lunch in the cafeteria. Um, and not have any really social sti socially stigmatizing behaviors or, um, you know, significant problems with sensory issues as they're going about those things. And then, of course, the health. The health is a huge one. Um, food variety um, definitely impacts health, um, but it's not necessarily one and the same. For instance, um, some kids might have fewer foods in their repertoire, um, but that doesn't mean that they're less healthy because those foods might be you know, some great sources of protein or vitamins or whatever it may be. Um, whereas other kids might have more foods in their repertoire, but be less healthy because those foods are not as nutrient dense. Um, so that definitely isn't one and the same, but um, obviously food variety is going to have an impact on the overall health. Um, and so that, you know, leads us into the discussion about like setting events. And, um, you know, if someone's not getting their physical needs met, how can that impact the behaviors? Um, so it, it bleeds out everywhere for sure. Do you notice that when kids have like a smaller set of foods that they eat, that they tend to be more unhealthy foods? Like, let's say I only eat a handful of things, but those tend to be like more processed, less like fruits and vegetables. Does that tend to be the case? Um, I would say as a general, probably. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's some that's a great thing uh, for the feeding assessment tool to help diagnose as well. Um, it's just kind of like what the patterns of eating are and what those patterns of the various foods are. Um, because some kids really fixate on, we talk a lot about like the beige and brown foods. Yeah. Some kids are like anything as long as it's a beige and brown. <laughs> um, or, you know, they have like certain patterns of things that they're more willing to eat. Um, and so then that sometimes means that, yes, it is more processed or maybe it's more more of a certain type of food. So I think the feeding assessment tool is just a really great way to like recognize some of those things. Yeah. So let's hear about the feeding assessment tool. And I'd love to hear kind of, you know, what motivated you to create this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the feeding assessment tool, I guess I'll start with what motivated me to create it. Um, I've worked, like I said, in a variety of contexts with individuals with disabilities, specifically autism. Um, and currently I'm the clinical supervisor over an ABA program where I think every single child that we work with has probably had some, some type of eating issue or um, parents have asked me a feeding question. So it's just something that is constantly seen. Um, and there are some resources out there. Um, there are, there's, you know, feeding therapy from uh, SLPs and OTs, um, but there's just not very much for 
kids who are food selective eaters. Um, there's a lot for like, if your child can't swallow, if your child has these really severe oral motor deficits, all of those things. But what about the kids who can eat, but just don't? <laughs> that was kind of where I was seeing the issue. Um, so I kind of pursued some training in that specifically. Um, and nutrition is something that myself and my family are just passionate about in general. Um, and it's always been, you know, an interest of ours. Um, so I pursued like interdisciplinary training so I could learn more about like the SOS approach, which is, you know, most commonly used by um, speech pathologists um, and just, you know, some other um, kind of like the history of feeding therapy and where we're at now, because um, it's something that I think is going to really grow in the coming years. Um, and so I decided to develop this tool primarily to use with my own clients, but then also to offer to other parents and practitioners who needed to know more about their food selective eaters. Um, as well as help develop more systematic goals. Cause everything I was seeing was kind of um, not as data driven as, you know, other, other aspects of behavior or things that we measure. Um, it was a little bit more subjective or, um, you know, it was like, what food do we start with? I don't know. How about eggs? <laughs> and they were just going <laughs> to pick a food. Um, and so I wanted something that was going to be a little bit more systematic. So yeah. the feeding assessment tool um, is a virtual comprehensive, super easy to use assessment tool designed for um, parents and practitioners. So if you're an OT, a BCBA, an FLP, a nutritionist, anything like that, this could be beneficial for you as long as you are um, helping a child or adult with their feeding goals. Um, it goes through all of the sensory features of foods. Um, so it'll measure um, the food groups, the food textures, the food flavors, uh, food shapes, um, food colors, food temperatures, um, and give you a score for each. So you can kind of notice the patterns of like, wow, they eat a ton of blue and purple foods, um, a, a lot of flat foods, but they have almost no oblong foods in their repertoire, things like that. And then you can kind of make those more specific goals from that, as well as it measures social eating behaviors, eating compliance, eating related communication skills, uh, physiological and motor capabilities, so that you can see those as well, the, the common eating issues and eating behaviors that come up with autism as well. Um, and then you can set a goal that's like, instead of just the child's going to, you know, increase their food variety, you can say the child will consume foods across at least three flavor profiles, textures, and colors by this state. So something that's a little bit more objective and clear um, to kind of guide that, that feeding therapy process. That's interesting. I didn't, you know, you don't think about how many different ways you can group food, like temperature, texture, shape. I mean, there's so many different ways you can, you know, come at it from. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you're picking goals, do you, does this kind of help you? Like, I love that goal of like, you know, across three, three food groups. Does it then give you some ideas of foods in those groups that you could kind of like start with? Yes, certainly. So, um, the, the first part of the test, um, is basically like a food inventory. So, um, the respondent will mark, um, you know, let's say they're given, um, carrot sticks. That's an oblong, orange, crunchy, earthy food. Um, so that's going to contribute to their score for all of those categories. Um, so let's say um, we're seeing that they scored in about like the 60 percent for oblong and crunchy foods, then they might suggest carrot sticks be where we start. Mm. Um, you know, because you want to start with a food that's in that like, sixty to eighty percent range, um, rather than starting with like something that's really really out of reach. See, I think, I mean, I'm like reflecting on my own parenting as I have some picky eaters myself, but <laughs> I, that is my problem often is I go to like something they, like, I'm like, here, let's eat chili and they don't eat anything like chili. And they're like, no. right, yeah. <laughs> but you know, starting with something that's more familiar in their repertoires. 
Yeah, yeah. So the low hanging fruit is a great strategy of just, you know, you want to be successful with something. So um, sometimes it's hard to see uh, if you're just just looking at the child, what's going to be more or less likely for them to eat. But when you have an assessment tool like this, you can look at the graph and see, oh, wow, it's really not likely that they're going to have a spicy food. But it's Mm -hmm. actually, you know, semi likely that they might try something sour. Um, So let's let's try something sour first, have them be successful with that. And eventually maybe we'll get to spicy. But um, it just allows you to be a bit more um, intentional about how you move through that uh, picky eating therapy. Love that. And then do you re-give this assessment on a regular basis or do you like do it once and develop your goals? Um, it's similar to what you would do with any other assessment. So if you did like another adaptive behavior assessment um, or something like that, you definitely want to do it at the beginning to get a baseline. Um, if you're a parent and you want to use it, it kind of helps answer that question of like, does your child need feeding therapy? Um, if you're not quite sure, is this like in the, the typical range of picky eating or is this, you know, really outside the norm? Um, and then if you're a practitioner, um, you know, for myself, I always like to reevaluate my clients like every six months or so, depending on their needs and how much progress they've made, you might do it more or less often. Um, but I think it's just good to continue, um, to measure those things and see if anything's changed. I love that this is something that a parent can use. That's not, you know, I think so often it's like, there's these big assessments that are kind of tricky even for clinicians, but something that's user-friendly that a teacher, a parent, someone that, you know, doesn't necessarily have an ABA background could jump in and utilize. Yeah, absolutely. I know that feeding therapy is not necessarily pigeonholed into one specific discipline. So I wanted something that was going to be useful, um, you know, for SLPs, OTs, BCBAs, and then parents as well, because sometimes, you know, you might not be pursuing feeding therapy, but you might be trying to do some interventions on your own. Yeah, that's true. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thinking about teachers in the classroom setting that have students with, you know, really picky eating, how can they support these kids? And then how can they support parents and caregivers that are trying to, you know, increase food variety? What, what What's the kind of the teacher's role in this, as you see? That's a really great question. Um, and I think that's, again, a topic that's going to be coming up more often in the future. Um, I know that I, I worked on a case um, where uh, there was two students um, in special education with autism. Um, And we went back and forth about, was there going to be feeding therapy at school? Was there not? Was there going to be? Was there not? And um, ultimately, they ended up not receiving feeding therapy services at school. Um, Whether they needed it, I think, is still kind of up for debate. Um, But I think, again, a tool like this is something that might be able to kind of help parents advocate for if some feeding interventions are necessary at school. Um, Because when it comes to, like, teaching... Um, for feeding therapy services to be delivered at school or for feeding interventions to be in the IEP, um, you know, it needs to be some 
something that's really impactful on their ability to make social connections or ability to learn, ability to function in the school setting. Um, So if a child is able to just sit there in the lunchroom and, you know, eat alongside their peers, no problems. Great. Um, But if their picky eating is resulting in, you know, serious behaviors at school or um, an inability to learn, you know, maybe they're not eating lunch and then they have a lot of behaviors and can't learn after lunchtime. Um, then in those cases, obviously, we need to provide some interventions. Um, so I think uh, a few things that you can do as a teacher um, would just be to collaborate with the family as far as lunches. Um, usually there's only one um, meal eaten at the school. Sometimes it's two. Sometimes kids have breakfast as well. Um, but really collaborating with um, parents about, you know, did they eat breakfast? Are they eating breakfast here? What's for lunch? Um, and paying attention to those setting events because if they didn't eat breakfast, then they might need a few snacks before they get to lunchtime to make it through. Or um, if they had a huge breakfast, then maybe don't try to use food as a reinforcer at 9 a.m. Um, so really being in communication with the parents about um, just kind of their feeding feeding status, what they brought for lunch, um, and how, how parents want them to go about uh, giving those foods. And then again, with the generalization piece. Um, so always making sure that you have as much generalization as possible and avoid the really, really rigid structure. Because for instance, if they're used to only having food delivered by the teacher on their yellow plate, then when a substitute comes and delivers them food on their green plate, (laughs) they might not eat it. They might just throw it on the ground. Um, So really paying attention to those generalization pieces, um, telling them, you know, you're going to eat at this table today. You're going to eat at that table today. Um, You're going to sit with this peer. You're going to sit with that peer. Um, just as many different, um, you know, small opportunities for variety that you can capitalize on. Yeah. I think that's such an easy way to just, even like the seating, like you said, or the, the plate or whatever could, to just kind of start to build in that generalization piece, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something else too, is eating with competing distractions in the environment can be really challenging for some kids, um, particularly if they have a comorbid diagnosis of ADHD or something like that. Um, and so maybe starting to like play some soft background music on some days, not every day, or, um, you know, having, having different things going on in the environment so they can start to get used to like, you know, if there's a different sound, if there's a different, um, person, you know, if you're seeing something different, we're still going to continue eating as normal. Yeah. Speaking of competing distractions is kind of taking this conversation in a different direction from school, but you know, I know a lot of parents rely on an iPad or a screen during, during meal times. And mm-hmm. what's your kind of advice or perspective on that? If that's something to avoid or to, to be okay with sometimes. That's a great question. Um, and I think in today's world is something that probably can't be altogether avoided. <laughs> you know, you pretty much can't take someone to a restaurant without there being a screen somewhere. Um, so I think it, it can't altogether be avoided. Um, if possible, yeah, I think it's great if people can eat without having a screen. I think that's the most independent that they can be. Um, but for some people, I think as a first step, you kind of do what you have to do. So if they're not eating at all, if they have great struggles with sitting calmly in the chair, um, then yeah, maybe we do have to um, introduce a screen or, um, you know, reinforcers, things like that for getting them to sit calmly at the table and eat their food, because that's the priority, I would say. I think eating is, you know, obviously really at the top of the list of important behaviors for people to exhibit. Um, And then that's something that you'd want to fade away over time. That shouldn't be something that you want to have them be reliant on for the rest of their life. 
Um, but if it is necessary in order to get them to eat, then I think then in that case, you do what you got to do. Yeah. I think like every parent was like, yes, tell me that I can do it for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, as long as you have plans to, I think, fade it away, you know. And then like tricky follow-up question. So, you know, parents, caregivers are saying they're like, okay, we, we need the fading piece now. Where do you start with that fading? If a kid's super reliant on having that iPad there and out when they eat, what's like that first step on fading? Um, that's a great question. So I think um, one thing that I would start with is let's say they're just super reliant on watching a video the entire time they're eating. You can still leave that video in front of them, but you can start by pausing it. Maybe like every couple of minutes, you just pause it, have them take a couple bites, chew and swallow, and then you hit play again. So the picture is still there. The screen is still there, but it's not actually playing. I think that would be the first step in fading. Yeah, I love that advice because they're not like taking it away. It's like, you know, wait, I was in the middle of that. It's just, it'll come back. It's right here. Exactly. And as the pauses get longer and longer, the screen gets further away. Eventually they start to not really attend to it very much anyways. And then they don't, you know, react as strongly when it's actually physically removed. Yeah, that's great advice. I love this. Um, Okay, Elizabeth, so where can people go to learn more from the feeding assessment tool or utilize this tool? So yeah, you can uh, visit our website. It's feedingassessmenttool.com. All the information is right on there, but if for some reason you have any questions, you can absolutely reach out. Um, my email is just contact at feedingassessmenttool.com and I'm happy to answer any questions by parents or practitioners about how to use this assessment, um, or anything like that. But yeah, basically, um, there's two, two styles to the assessment. One is just the food selectivity and the other is the comprehensive. The only difference is the comprehensive includes the eating related behaviors as well. Um, so if you're maybe an adult who's curious about your own behaviors, you might just choose to use the food selectivity. Um, But for the most part, for practitioners or um, if you're measuring behaviors of children with autism, I recommend using the comprehensive. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. This has been super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.